Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford, the Ole Miss beat writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. I'm joined by our Mississippi State writer, Dalton Middleton, and Christian Bird. We're going to talk some NFL draft today as well, probably throw a little recruiting in there also. Guys, how are you? Good on my end. Dalton, how are you? I'm good, Parrish and Christian. Uh I'm doing good over here in Starkville. Well, that's good. That, that's 100% then, three for three. Uh, it's hard to, hard to beat that. Hey, folks, we got a lot to talk about in the program. Before we get there, we'd like to thank our partners with the Oxford Park Commission. OPC is providing summer day camp for area kids. It is a deal. Lots of educational opportunities and just plain fun. Registration begins Friday. Uh, at 8 a.m. online at OxfordParkCommission.com or by visiting the Coach Howell Activity Center. Camp serves ages 5 to 13, cost is $300 per camper per session. Sessions run June 1 to 25 and July 5 to 30. Drop-off begins at 7.30. Pickup is 5.30. That's each day. Games, arts and crafts, swimming, and outdoor activities are just some of the activities campers will take part in daily. And OPC is looking for lifeguards for the city pool. The season starts Memorial Day weekend and runs through Labor Day. Candidates must be at least 16 and have a current lifeguard certification. If you have questions, contact Aquatics Director Jamie Chandler at jamie at oxfordparkcommission.com. That's J-A-M-I-E at oxfordparkscommission.com or just apply online at oxfordms.net. Uh, Christian, uh, my kids blew past age 13 about a decade ago, maybe a little bit more. I think you may have some little people that qualify for that camp. Is that right? I do. I've got one that'll be 13 this summer, and then I've got one that just turned 10 months. So I really don't know what's going on anymore um, other than I don't sleep and Little people are fantastic, but you're right. It's, it's an exponential process, man. It happens really quickly. But, yes, I have one that certainly qualifies for that. Game. Well, you know, the, ignorance is not always a bad thing. There are some benefits to that. So uh, That's plausible you know, deniability it, in yeah, some it, cases. It, so I'll it, take it. Yeah. Well, look, we wanted to talk to you about some uh, Ole Miss and some Mississippi State uh, draft hopefuls. Um, draft coming up April 24th. Uh, when I look at this, Christian, I, I see uh, a lot of mock drafts have maybe four quarterbacks going in the top ten, maybe five. Uh, is there a draft class in recent memory for you that, that rivals this one as far as quarterbacks? I know Dalton and I both can remember the 1983 draft class, which which I think is still uh, – still holds the record with uh, six quarterbacks going in the first round. Dalton, you remember that, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah just like uh, just like it was yesterday. <laughs> Honestly, I, I do remember that. And, and uh, so I remember that bit of trivia. Uh, but Professor Google tells me the six were John Elway, Dan Marino, Ken O'Brien, Tony Eason, Todd Blackledge, and Jim Kelly. About half of those Will be how would go on to become household names. But it, uh, what, what do you think, uh, Christian? Does does this class for quarterbacks rival that one? 
I don't know that it does, Parrish. I mean, listen, there's a lot of hype behind a lot of guys, and I get it. But what I think you're seeing more than anything is right timing for a lot of teams to take that risk and to take that chance. Teams that are complete in other areas, but that's just an area they feel like they need to get better at or there's going to be a succession plan in place. I think I think for me, um, what I see now is a quarterback-driven league more than ever, and people are – willing to take the risk because if you miss on a quarterback it's not the end of the world because so many people do um and and so it's it's kind of an accepted risk I guess you could say for for folks but I I mean yeah there's I think there's going to be four to five and and I would lean towards five because it's like anything else supply and demand when you get to that fourth or fifth slot I think you're going to see teams move up. I think you're going to see a, some, some crazy stuff happen. Um, and and it's it's fascinating to me the, the love affair some of these teams have with some of these players. I, I think I think they're good, but I'm just not I'm not sold by any stretch of the imagination that 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 some of these quarterbacks are, are going to be you know worth literally a a top five or six pick. Um, some of them most certainly will but but some of them I mean it's it's iffy at best in my opinion well I, I see a lot of buzz for is it Trey Lance from North Dakota yeah. State yeah. Uh, and look you you draft a guy that high you're expecting uh, an early impact maybe not maybe if it's a quarterback maybe not this year but certainly next year and I, I look at uh, at a guy from North Dakota State and I think Carson Wentz and, and I wonder you know is, is there not some some residue from Carson Wentz and his time in Philadelphia that kind of, you know, uh, uh, sticks to, to Lance here. I mean, that doesn't sound like it. No, it doesn't. And, and look, I mean, you know, he's an incredible talent, but as you're, as you know, I mean, how many guys have we seen that have been incredible talents that just didn't translate to the processing piece and, and, and all of the things that go into being an NFL quarterback. It is so difficult to, to come in and learn. It's the, the game is so much faster. I mean, you just think about how much faster the SEC would be than a team out of North or South Dakota, much less taking the next jump to the NFL level. It, it's going to take some time if he is good. I don't think it'll be instant. But I, I do think that – I don't think that there's a problem with the physical intangibles of any of the first-round quarterbacks that are being projected or mocked. I think the issue is going to be how well do they translate into something better. And then you have to get you have to have a good coach on your side. I mean, the NFL is not void of bad coaches. Ron Tannehill wasn't a bad quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. He had a really bad coach in Adam Gase. And then he went to he went to Tennessee, continued to do well. That's why I'm not completely I – don't, I don't think Sam Darnold's a bad quarterback. That's why I think Carolina traded for him and got out of him. I think they would have rather had him. When, when Carolina traded last week with the Jets, I think they wanted Sam Darnold more than, than, than paying the price to go up and take a risk. And so my point in that is where you land, who you land with, it all matters. And so there's this sense that it better be the right fit, it better be the right team, or you may waste a guy that could have developed somewhere else. So apart from physical intangibles, mental capacity to handle the maturity that goes into it, to being a leader, to the speed of the game, 
to landing in the right spot, there's just as many elements against these quarterbacks being drafted as there are reasons to draft. Well, Christian, I guess uh, moving away from the quarterbacks and more another offensive position, talk about running back, of course, that's Mississippi State's most uh, pro- highly projected draft pick in Kylan Hill um, this year. What do you see? Because um, I know there's a lot of mock drafts that have him really late in the round, but I've seen some that have him as high as the third round. Um, and I know it's kind of a, a guy that's that's hasn't really proven himself too much out of the backfield to catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's got a couple off-the-field issues that he's had to deal with the last few years. But what have you kind of seen from him? What do you kind of think maybe happens with him in, you know, in the next few months? Yeah, I think a lot of it, Dalton, is, is going to depend on if there is, once again, what kind of premium is placed. Is there a run on running backs early? I, actually, I personally think there are going to be a few running backs that come off the board in the first round, which – you don't see a lot of now. There's not nearly as much uh, what's stock put in, in, in taking running backs high unless they're really elite. Um, but I could see a couple of them just from talking to a couple of guys I know and a couple of scouts come off the board in the first round, and that may elevate him some. Uh, but, but I definitely think – I mean, if you ask me if I thought that it, 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 that Kalen could go in the third round I'd say absolutely I can see a team taking a chance on him. More than likely, is it fourth or fifth? Probably. But then again, if if all of a sudden the top four to five running backs come off in day one and day two, and I really think there'll be a big surge day two for them, the third round is not even remotely out of the question because, I listen, either he can catch the ball of the backfield or he can't. So many people, when they dig, have off-the-field issues. So I, I feel like teams know what they're getting in him from the sense that I believe he's proven himself in the SEC, which I don't know what other training ground you can really go off of. Um, and, and so if you're asking me if I'd be shocked if he was in the third, no. But I, pro- I, think, he's, I think he's probably a fourth or fifth-round guy. Um, at least that's where I had him pegged even though I think he brings more value than that. Um, I think the position and the things that you mentioned might scare some people from taking him a little higher than he's probably valued. And one of uh, Colin Hill's off the field, um, uh, I don't know if you would call this an incident or an issue, but uh, he took a stand uh, for the state flag. And uh, I wonder how that plays with the NFL, Christian, and what you think of that. There was a – a day when maybe a league might have looked at that and said, uh, we don't want someone who's going to draw a lot of attention uh, to themselves in this way. We're going to be careful with that person. But this is a different day. And and we have seen this issue. We saw this issue um, pushed to the forefront last summer, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And we saw a lot of sports leagues rallying around their players. Uh, I'm wondering how you think that plays with uh, NFL teams regarding uh, Kylan Hill? You know, I, I don't think it'll be too much. I mean, listen, if you if you say that about Kylan Hill, then you better take a handful of other guys um, around the country who've taken stands on, on a number of issues and, 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 and been very vocal in their social media. So I, I think overall – um, I, I don't think Colin Hill will be punished for that at all. Uh, and, and, and also, listen, you know, we can say – we can talk all day about the fact that 
that Colin might not be able to catch it out of the backfield, this or that. But the bottom line is he produces. And there's there's a reason a ton of teams out there have third down backs for that very reason. He's a tough runner. He's physical. He'd work well in a cold city. He's the type of guy, you know, you could see Buffalo getting in on and just pounding it between the tackles. Um, I, I but, but I don't think that, that, that it's going to be an issue where they look at him and, and think, oh my goodness, you know, is, 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 is he going to, um, is he going to talk about things outside of football that scare us, that potentially could put us in a tough spot? I don't, I don't think they're going to look at that. Not, not over something that by most, by most people's belief outside of Mississippi, inside the NFL circles, they, they probably agreed with him on it. Um, I think they did agree. When, when I talked to people, you know, just about that process when it happened, not to get too political or into anything else, I, I don't think Colin Hill is going to find himself with a lot of people outside of Mississippi that disagree with what he did. So um, that was a choice he made. I don't think he's going to be punished for it. Dalton, what, what do you think led to the breakup uh, really between Kylan Hill and Mike Leach? I mean, what was it? Was he not catching the ball out of the backfield enough? Was there any, I know there was an injury involved. I mean, it just seemed like uh, you know a dynamic offensive player that that a coach like Leach would have been able to find common ground and uh, and help him help the Bulldogs. Oh well, first I will say going off Christian's point a minute ago, um, when we talked to Kylan after the pro day, he did mention that he was really excited to get to the NFL because the NFL has done a lot more for social justice in the last few years, and that he's super excited. To work with them so I don't think that's going to be an issue at all because uh he'll have a bigger stage now if he gets to the NFL but um you know I, I know um I've heard the rumors of why he got kicked off the team um and and that seems like those are probably or quit the team get kicked off those are probably right but you know I don't that's not something that's been public at all um but I don't think it was the whole not catching the ball in the backfield because when you look back at, you know, he had over 100 receiving yards against LSU. And then um, obviously against Arkansas, he got hurt on the very first play of the game. And then against Kentucky, I think he set the school record for 15 catches um, yep. in that Kentucky game. And then I think he had 15 catches for 60 yards or some, something stupid like that. And, um, you know, the rest of the team probably had 20 offensive yards together. That was whenever Mike Leach's offense was uh, – when he realized he couldn't play against the zone. Um, but I don't know. After, after that, it just kind of seemed like, you know, they they said he was going to take some personal time off. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're talking to Mike Leach in press conferences, and he says, oh, I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. You know, I'm not sure where he's at. And, um, you know, it was just kind of where it was. But there was a – from what I've heard is there was some there was some personal stuff. They had a falling out personally and uh, had some different – some some different feelings there and that's what happened really, but that's not public. So I don't feel right saying it out, out there. Right. Right. Well, you know, the, I guess it's internet, so we, we can put an asterisk up there and say it's, it's rumor. Uh, it's a different day, man. Um, but it was interesting. I, I found that uh, I found it interesting that, that a coach like Leach could not uh, get a guy like uh, Kylan Hill to hang around. And, uh, and when you hear that, if when when you see that and you see that not happening, it you know on the outside not being uh, uh, very close to it, it just made me think personality conflict. I mean, so, you know, so there are so many breakups. Uh, you know, when the bottom line is really simple, and people one reason or another just don't get along. 
yeah, and I think that's basically what it was. And then I think uh, Colin Hill had some things that he had to work on himself. Um, and I think uh, he has been trying to work on those. And, you know, hopefully he gets them all straightened up before the NFL draft and a team takes a chance on him, pays him a lot of money for him to continue to have those issues, I reckon. Hey, Christian, uh, is it just me or am I starting to see more buzz for Elijah Moore uh, in, in the first round, usually late first round, but but up there? Are, are you seeing that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and listen, it's, it's really interesting because there's this really weird time between roughly pick 16 and pick 24 where there are several – there's a group of teams that have needs – that are similar, but there's not going to be enough players in those needs for them to justify maybe taking number two or number three on their board. And so they're going to have to go with best available player. So one of the things that I think is going to happen there is you're going to see a team like the Titans who just desperately need a cornerback. They, they'd love to have Horn from South Carolina, Sertain from, from, you know, you know, from Alabama. They, they want one of those guys. They're not going to get them. At, at 22 or wherever they are. So either, the, either they're going to pay a ton and move up or they're going to sit there and either take best available pass rusher, offensive lineman, wide receiver, add more weapons. They're going to evaluate what they want to do. I think there's a group of things that could happen, but I think you could either see a run on a couple of running backs surprisingly come off the board. I think you could see some people reach for a couple of linemen, maybe a few defensive end that are probably day two guys that could move up late in the first round. Or I think you could see a guy like Elijah Moore who runs a 4-3, had a great pro day, suddenly become an option for teams out of the slot because of how productive he was, um, you know, not only in the SEC, but at, a, at, at their the version of whatever the combine was this year, which is pro day. So it, it's going to be – he's definitely going to be in the conversation – for late first round buzz, I'm still not a hundred percent sold. It's done um, because I, I'm telling you guys, there's nothing in the world that sends out more smoke screens, even more so than recruiting outside of the NFL draft. People put out more misinformation and more crap to get people to put it in mock drafts so that they can protect the investment that they really want to draft. And so it is absurd absurd some of the things that people are saying and suggesting but I do think Elijah's a definitely a late first round talent and I would not be shocked if he snuck in that late first round he'll definitely be a high second round guy at worst well I I know that wins and losses play into this and and I know that Ole Miss has been rebuilding and and last year was a a very celebrated five and five year <laughs> You know, uh, granted, it, it all came against uh, an SEC schedule, and, and that can't be overlooked. But uh, sure. the point here is Elijah Moore, for what he accomplished last year and, and the limited buzz for him and the national conversation among wide receivers, I, I know that everything was about uh, Devontae Smith and the run-up to the Heisman. I get that. There was a campaign going. There was a push. There was momentum, and he was playing for the national champions. I just think uh, Elijah Moore was completely uh, overlooked last year. We're talking about a, a guy that led the nation in uh, receiving yards per game, uh, receptions per game, and and did it against, again, that, that all-SEC schedule. I thought he was uh, overlooked just uh, 
in general in conversations about wide receivers. And now I'm, I'm starting to think maybe, maybe smokescreen, as you're saying, maybe some of that's going on. I'm sure it is. But I'm wondering if there's not finally, uh, you know, getting to be some uh, respect for what he accomplished last year. Well, there's definitely respect there. If you talk to different guys, different scouts, it's there. Okay. I mean, I mean, they know production matters when it's in the SEC. I don't care who you are. If you catch, you know, 200 balls in, in you know, a, a, a lower level Division II school, it's not to say that you can't play in, in, the, in the SEC or even in, in, in the pros. But if you, put, if you do it at an SEC level, especially with, you know, against SEC teams uh, with our shortened season, I don't know how you don't notice it. And the NFL finds you no matter where you are. They've proven that. What's – the, the only issue Elijah's got is just how good this wide receiver class is. People can talk all they want to about the quarterbacks. It's the best wide receiver class I can remember in a very, very, very long time. Yeah, there are um, there are quite a few out there. Yeah, They're so good. I mean, and another guy we're not even talking about is Jalen Waddle before the injury. I mean, that guy, I, I don't – I probably have him rated as my top wide receiver in, in the whole deal. I just think that he's so explosive and such a dynamic player. His fit for the NFL and chunk plays is very Tyreek Hill-esque for the Chiefs, and I, I think he's the type of guy that can completely change the game. Um, and, and so Elijah's just in a really good group, but I do think – I mean, I, I'm with you, Parrish. I, I do think there's a good chance he sneaks in the back end there um, because he is good. He has produced. And he did it when teams were doubling him, bracketing him, trying to play him in zone, trying to play him in man, trying to play him in press. It didn't matter. He found a way to get open against elite-level talent, and that matters. Yeah, and you mentioned Jalen Waddle there and the kind of uh... – Made me want to say something and with Parrish talking about how he thought Elijah was overlooked during the season. And I think that's because of the way Devontae Smith came on after Jalen Waddle's injury. But, you know, if Jalen Waddle doesn't get injured right there, one, Devontae Smith doesn't win the Heisman. Agreed. Um, but two, I imagine Elijah Moore probably talked about a lot more because there wasn't a receiver putting up absurd numbers. Um, and like you said, I, I, I think Jalen Waddle's uh, – Probably one or two. You know, I think he's better than Devontae Smith. I think Devontae Smith's going to be the number three receiver behind him and Jamar Chase. I agree um, with that. And I think those three are kind of – yeah, I think those three are kind of a, a step above everyone else. And then Elijah Moore is – you know, I don't know who the other receivers are that are right in between them. I don't – I haven't kept up with the draft too much this year. But, uh, you know, I think Elijah Moore is right there with those guys, you know, at a talent level. But, I mean, he's going to get picked highly enough just because people in the NFL want guys that can – make a uh, yards after the catch. You see what AJ Brown's doing with the Tennessee Titans. You know, he's a yards after catch specialist over there right now. So imagine they wouldn't, uh, somebody would take a chance on a, a, an extra AJ Brown or even better, you know, who knows? Another. Right. Uh, oh, go ahead. Just another thing to consider is the NFL doesn't always look at you as a slot guy or a, uh, or a one or a two or a guy that's out wide, a boundaries guy, or even a pat or a tight end. I mean, they're looking for pass catchers. And so I'm, 
I think the first guy off the board is going to be Kyle Pitts. That's that's a Kyle, that's a that's a catcher out of you know a guy that catches passes out of Florida, and we saw that firsthand. He is an absolute monster. He runs a sub four four. He's six five. He's absolutely terrifying. He doesn't play with his hand in the dirt. He has no no interest in doing it. And I don't think the teams that draft him have any interest in doing it. But I think he could come off as early as four, and I think he'll come off no later than six. So I think he'll go to the Falcons at four or he'll go to the Dolphins at six because the NFL is all about creating mismatches and they really don't care how they do it or where they line you up. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's not just that Elijah's up against other wide receivers. He's up against elite pass catchers. And again, otherwise I think he'd be right in the mix for a mid-round first-round pick. And he may still get there, but some team that needs a wide receiver may, may see him there and say, we're taking him. And it, w- it wouldn't surprise me, but, but again, he's just with an incredible group. The fact that he's even mentioned as a late first-round pick with all these wide receivers is impressive. Christian, we got uh, a few minutes left. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and, and look at basketball. Uh, what, uh, what more is out there, do you think, for Mississippi State uh, and Ole Miss? Uh, I, I know I've uh, heard uh, uh, the words done deal have been used uh, – to me regarding uh, Duke transfer, Jamin Brakefield and, and Ole Miss, but but it sounds like uh, the family vacation with the kids in the back seat saying, "Are we there yet?" Yeah, yeah, I don't. It, it, yeah, I, I, you nailed it. I mean, that's probably the best analogy I've ever heard for what's going on right now. Um, from the basketball perspective, it just feels like there's a little bit of a lull in it for whatever reason. Um, I've heard done deal too, but being a guy who follows recruiting, I don't say those words ever in any scenario because they terrify me and they jinx things. And I'm not superstitious unless it's recruiting and then I'm really superstitious. So with a certain Duke transfer, we shall see what happens. Again, I can't imagine Jamal Brakefield going somewhere else. I can't. I can't imagine. it's, It's the worst kept secret in the world. At this point, everybody knows it's going to happen, but you raise a good question, why hasn't it? Um, the one that caught me out of nowhere was was the Georgia guard. I did not see that coming, Parrish. I did not hear his name. We discussed that you better be a guy that is an impact player. I think he's a guy with a ton of experience, but the truth is I think he's a guy that's paving the way for Ruffin to come in halfway through the season. We'll see. Interesting. What, uh, what more do you see in State's class? You know, I don't know. Um, it, I've been pretty out of tune. I wish I wasn't in that one particular area. Uh, but, but my, um, I, I, I'm interested to see what they do, but, but I don't know. I've been so locked in to the old Miss transfer world that I can, I, I can plead ignorance. Dalton, I, I may yield to you here on what you think may be left uh, for them to inherit. Uh, well, from what I'm hearing, um, is that, like you mentioned, done deal. You know, nobody really likes to say that very much, but I have heard uh, that Garrison Brooks um, could be a done deal for Mississippi State. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be true or not. I've seen people saying that, and people are really high on him transferring to State. You know, he started North Carolina uh, for a few years. Sure. Um, but then I've also seen some people on Twitter and some people that disagree. So, But the, the, the rumor that's not on Twitter is that he is uh, it's a done deal. They're just waiting on it to happen. Um, who knows why it hasn't, like you guys mentioned a minute ago. And then uh, the other one is DJ Jeffries, which, I, you know, yeah. people are – I imagine people are still hearing 
the DJ Jeffries to Ole Miss. People are still hearing DJ Jeffries to Mississippi State. Um, I think some of the people on the Mississippi State side are really, really ex uh, expecting him to, to transfer to Mississippi State. But I guess we're going to see what happens with that. But those are really the two I think that's going to round out this one. Um, I think Garrison Brooks is a little more uh, – people are a little more confident with Garrison Brooks than DJ Jeffries. But I guess we're going to see what happens with both of them. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC. Through the lens of Mississippi, you can check out Dalton and myself at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. We're on Facebook as well. Ole Miss discussion with Parrish Alford, Mississippi State discussion with Dalton Middleton. Lots of good things in those groups. We thank Christian Bird for being with us, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. Come join us.